Well, good evening, brethren. In Second uh, Corinthians, Paul started declaring his gratitude for the overall majority of the brethren in Corinth that had repented. In chapter 3, then Paul starts talking about the greater glory of the new covenant and how we are being transformed into the same image as that of Christ. This is an important chapter, as many use it to justify that God, uh, God's eternal and spiritual law is done away. Um, the world basically interprets this chapter as the Ten Commandments were written on two tables of stone, and therefore they also refer to that the glory is disappearing, and their conclusion is that they say the Ten Commandments, the spiritual law, is therefore the glory of it is disappearing, and therefore it is no longer binding. But as I explained uh, in the previous study, uh, that is not what is being talked about here. So let's pick up from verse 6 in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Let me read it. Uh, it's talking about uh, who has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit kills gives life. So under the old covenant, um, the, they were not, the Israelites were not offered salvation. They had a administration or ministration of death in which the civil code prescribed a penalty of death for breaking the law. <laughs> but under the new covenant, we have the opportunity of eternal life. So let's now continue with verse 7. The min and I'm reading, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory, because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. We went through this carefully in the last study, but the administration or administration uh, of that old covenant, which involved a death penalty, was glorious. And as we know, and as we went through, was engraved on stones. And we show that it was talking about whole stones, not the two tablets of stone. And these whole stones were stones in, on which the whole book of the law was written after they crossed over the Jordan. It was glorious, that old covenant, because it was a glorious law to show man how to follow the Ten Commandments. It was glorious because it reflected God's nature, his will, and his character. Now, when Moses came down the mountain, his face was shining, his face was glorious. The glory on Moses' face, which eventually faded away, 
was a type of the ministration or the administration under the old covenant, which was ready to vanish away. Why? Because it was being replaced by the ministry or the administration in the new covenant. If we just briefly look at Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. We see in that he says, a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now that is becoming obsolete, now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The old covenant had been replaced by the new covenant, but not all aspects or trappings of the old covenant. The physical blessing of the old covenant was a great physical blessing, was glorious. They were to be the greatest nation on earth if they followed God. And as per, as per Deuteronomy 4 and 5, they were supposed to set an example to the world. They were to be a beacon, a light to the world. They were to draw other nations to God's way. Now, they failed. They failed miserably. And let's read in Hebrews also chapter 8, but in verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So why was it, was, where was the fault? The fault was in the people because they were not able to obey. In Deuteronomy 5, keep your finger in Hebrews 8, but in Deuteronomy 5, verse 29, Deuteronomy 5, Verse 29, <clears throat> we read, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they could fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Oh, that they were obeying, that they had a heart to obey. God knew that they were not able to obey. And in Hebrews 8 verse 7, as we, we were reading, therefore, because they had a fault, there was a need of a new covenant, which would be more glorious. You see, as we read then in verse 8 of Hebrews 8, we see, because finding fault with them, so the fault was not with God's law. The fault was with them. The people that did not obey, did not keep the law. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So that's why the new covenant is more glorious. Why? Because this new covenant, verse 9, is not according to the covenant, covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. They did not obey. 
they broke the covenant. And God says, I disregarded them, says the Lord. And then, so what we have here is we have a situation that they broke the covenant. And so we have a new covenant in which the problem was corrected. And the problem is, as it corrected how? Look at it in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws into their mind and write them on their hearts. God's laws, there's nothing wrong with them, but are being written in our minds in the, and in our hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see, so the problem was corrected with the new covenant because the law was now not just written on tablets of stone, but it was written in our hearts and in our minds. So let's continue therefore reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And now we continue with uh, verse 8. Uh, so he's talking about because the glory was passing away. And uh, now how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? So in other words, why is the ministry of the Spirit more glorious? And then he says, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. So how is the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, yes, the ministry of the Spirit, as it says in verse 8, more glorious? Because this ministry of the new covenant promised God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is what begets us as children of God. And God's Holy Spirit, therefore, as children of God, leads us, it helps us to overcome ourselves, gives us the power to overcome so that we can change and be transformed and be like Christ is. So they, in the old covenant, did not have the promise of the Holy Spirit. Yes, indeed, God did give the Holy Spirit to a few of the prophets and a few of the kings in the Old Testament. But under the, but under the, the new covenant, this uh, promises is given to all whom he calls. So in the new covenant, we've got the promise of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant. We've got forgiveness of sins. We've got the promise of eternal life. So not just physical blessings, but blessings in this life and eternal life in the world to come. In the new covenant, we have the hope of the resurrection. We've got in the new covenant the ability to repent and change by the power of God's Holy Spirit. In other words, the new covenant has a spiritual element that has been added. To it. Now let's continue now in verse 10 and 11. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if 
what is passing away was glorious what remains is more glorious so it's actually talking about the spiritual glory to come the physical glory as it says there in verse 10 uh, it had no glory in this respect in other words in the spiritual context the physical glory has no glory in the spiritual context and it says it's passing away uh, why it says in verse 11 for if what is passing away present continues because the physical sacrifices when second corinthians was written were still being offered the physical temple was still there you see the physical temple was had not yet been destroyed yes it was destroyed in 70 a.d but second corinthians was written about 55 a.d which was 15 years before the destruction of the temple and so the physical priesthood was still functioning the jews had not been scattered the sacrifices had not yet ended therefore as it says in verse 11 was passing away god had not immediately stopped them there was a transition period indeed from the year that christ died ad 31 the year that god's holy spirit was given and therefore basically the initiation of the new covenant ad 31 it took counting inclusively 40 years till ad 70 during the period of this transition 40 is also an interesting number uh, time of trial and testing so god still worked with israel up to a certain point now let's go on to verse 12 therefore since we have such hope we use we we use great boldness of speech you know we have a great hope of future we got a spiritual understanding and therefore we can speak with authority about the hope that we have the hope of the kingdom of god the hope of the resurrection verse 13 unlike moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing passing away that glory of moses did pass away his face did not shine all the time and so that uh, uh, the, the, the shining on his face the glory on his face was a type of the old covenant which was to be replaced by a far greater glory in the person of jesus christ indeed christ is the reality of god's plan uh, he's the end of the law as we read in romans 10 verse 4 he's the very purpose he's the very example is the the very perfect achievement of what the law points to a perfect man so let's look read now in verse 14 but their minds were blinded 
Now, at this stage, Paul shifts the meaning. Now he shifts the meaning of veiling to blinding the mind. Look at it. Their minds were blinded. For, blinded. for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Covenant Scriptures, of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. So Paul now shifts the meaning, veil being a type of being blinded, because their minds were not opened. Uh, their veil means that their spiritual understanding was covered. They were blinded. <laughs> and that understanding is removed in Christ when God calls us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. It explains a little bit about this principle of how God's Holy Spirit opens our minds because it says but God has revealed them it was the things of God uh, to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things yes the deep things of God in other words God shows us God helps our mind to understand the things of God when God's Holy Spirit is working with our minds. Now it is important to understand, yeah, that God's Spirit can work with our minds as He starts calling us before baptism. So God's Holy Spirit works with people before baptism, is with people before baptism to start opening up their minds to help them to understand spiritual things. That's why it says in verse 11. For what man knows the things of man, except the spirit of man which is in him. So the spirit of man in man helps man to understand the things of man. So if you were to talk about the things of man to a giraffe or to a tiger, it would not understand the things of man because it does not have the spirit of man that man has. Likewise, it says here in verse 11, even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Likewise, a human being without God's Spirit working with their mind cannot understand the things of God, just like a giraffe cannot understand the things of man. So we need God's Holy Spirit to unveil, to open our minds. And the new covenant through Christ, what Christ has done, he went up, up to heaven as our high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And now, he, starting on the day of Pentecost, he fulfilled the promise of the Father by giving as the Holy Spirit and therefore uh, founding the Church of God from that day. The Church of God was founded. And therefore, we have God's Holy Spirit. We receive God's Holy Spirit. We are begotten of God. And with God's Holy Spirit, we, our minds, are unveiled. When we receive God's Holy Spirit, we become children of God, begotten but not yet born. Uh, 
And at the same time, God's Holy Spirit works with us before baptism so that we can understand the things of God. That's what it says here in Second Corinthians, I beg your pardon, First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. So let's uh, continue. Uh, we were reading Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. And it says there that they had a veil. The Israelites had a veil. In other words, the Israelites never understood under the old covenant the spiritual side of things. They did not comprehend God's spiritual law. They did not comprehend the meaning of sacrifices that pointed to Christ and pointed to God's Holy Spirit and did not comprehend the meaning of the holy days. This we understand because we have God's Holy Spirit, God's given His Holy Spirit, and we in the Church of God understand the meaning of the holy days. Uh, other scriptures that go with this, because um, we are in verse 14, it, let me just read uh, the, the verse 14 again. Uh, it says, But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament scriptures because the veil is taken away in Christ. If we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Through Christ we receive that gift, that gift through faith. And it says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that also explains Matthew 13, verse 10, when it's talking about parables. Let's just look at Matthew 13, verse 10. Matthew 13, verse 10, explaining why Christ spoke in parables. Matthew 13, verse 10. 10 he says and the disciples came and said to him why do you speak to them in parables and he answered and said to them because it has given been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of god of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given for whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance but who does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. In other words, they got a fail. Hearing, they do not understand. They do not hear, nor do they understand. Why? Because they got a fail. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing, you will hear. And shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive for the hearts of this people have grown dull and their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that i should heal them 
Quite a powerful scripture. Quite a powerful scripture. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. It is a blessing for us to have the help of God's Holy Spirit to be called and for God to show us through His Spirit His truth. That is a blessing. Uh, also turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, we'll just look at this moment. At the first part, we will look at the second part of this verse a little later. He says, in verse 4, it's talking about, in, well, let's, in fact, catch up with verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. The God of this age, which is Satan, has blinded the minds. The age is the, uh, the word Aion, uh, Greek uh, 165. It was the God of this society, of this world. Um, in other words, he, he has his own mindset, its ideas, its goals, its philosophy, its education, its religion, its approaches. And for all the stuff that's happening in the world under the inspiration of Satan, blinds people's minds until God opens the minds because now people are blind. They can't see. They just cannot see it. And so let's also read at Romans 11 verse 8. Romans 11 verse 8. He says, just as it's written, God has given them a spirit of stupor eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day to this very day they do not understand the truth of god so let's continue now therefore in second corinthians chapter 3 uh, verse 15 and 16 but even to this day when moses is read a veil lies on their heart, in other words, on the Jewish people, on the people under the old covenant, they just could not see it. Their heart and their minds were closed. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, when God calls us and we understand, and we understand and we turn to Christ, the veil is taken away. And so the veil is removed. You see, so Christ's sacrifice opens up the way that removes the veil, that Christ then gives us his Holy Spirit, and then uh, which comes from the Father. Christ gives us the Father's Spirit, which is Christ's Spirit, there's only one Spirit, and removes that veil. Now let's continue in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You see, so as we receive Christ, we receive God's Holy Spirit, 
Christ is in us and we start understanding the very purpose of God's law, the very purpose of outgoing concern and love as revealed by God's law. And that is liberty. You see, God's law is a law of liberty. God does, God's law does not enslave us. As some people say, oh, well, God's law is a burden. No, it's not. People have added burdens around God's law, but God's law is not a burden. It's not a law of slavery, but it is a law of liberty. If we look at James chapter 1, verse 25, James chapter 1, verse 25, we read there that it says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, God's law is a law of liberty, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful year, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. You see, so God's law is a law of liberty. Now let's move on to verse 18. But we, or with unveiled face, beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's so much in this verse. One could do a whole sermon just on this verse. You see, um, first, but we all with unveiled face, we as God's people, called by God, we with God's truth, we have unveiled faces. In other words, we're not blinded. We understand spiritual truths. So we all, with unveiled faces, right, beholding as in a mirror, in other words, as we study the scriptures, we understand and uh, with God's Holy Spirit, we start understanding better, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. We start seeing what Christ has done and his glory. Just as Moses saw God's back, we read in Exodus 33, verse 18 through 23, that Moses said, show me your glory. And then... Uh, God said, look, you, you can't see my glory, but uh, I will pass behind a rock and, um, and then I'll let you see my back. So Moses saw partially that, but we see God's glory, the glory of the Lord in a different way. You see, Moses reflected some of the glory of God but it faded away. It shone in his face, but it faded away. We are having a different glory incorporated into us. It is the glory of the image of God. See, that's what it says. Yeah, we beholding as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord, because he's the image of God. And so we have, uh, uh, 
God's glory in us. Like Moses did not see God's face. Neither do we in this life as physical beings. But we see his image, his character. We are being transformed into the same image, into the same divine nature, into the same godly, holy, righteous character from glory to glory. So we are, as it says here, it says, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image, uh, into that image that Christ is, is the image of God. And we are being transformed because God's glory in Christ is coming into us. How? Because we are being transformed into the same divine nature and the same holy righteous character from glory to glory. In other words, we have an ever increasing glory as we live and apply and become more like God, as we become better Christians, as we overcome more, as we become kinder and more godlike in our life, in our approach, in our speaking to other people, as we stop being over critical uh, as we stop being over forceful and dictatorial but we become more like god which is a father of mercies and a comforter as we become like that we are being changed through god's holy spirit god's holy spirit the sanctification of the spirit for obedience we are being changed in other words, Christ lives in us through God's Holy Spirit. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It means that our human desires, our old man, has been crucified. In fact, at baptism should be put to death. That's why baptism, the whole body must be under the water, is symbolic, being crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It's no longer my old carnal mind who live, but Christ lives in me. I am supposed to be, if I'm really living it, in a godly way, I am supposed to be day by day more like Christ. That's what it says here. Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have absolutely trust in him. I trust in what he's done. I trust in him. I have faith in him and I have faith in what he's done. And we are being crucified daily. That says, I'm crucified of Christ daily. We are being transformed into Christ, into being Christ-like. We are being changed 
into the spiritual image of God daily. We are becoming more like God in actions, in thoughts, in way, in the way of life. We are in the process, let's say it this way, of becoming God, God beings, not supreme God, not like Christ, a lot lower, but of the same kind, of the same sort of image, nature, character. So, continuing now in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. Therefore, you see there's no, there's no chapter break. So it says, therefore, because of what I told you before, therefore, since we have this ministry, see, as ministers of Christ, as we have this new covenant ministry, as we have received mercy, we have received mercy. We have received mercy. We do not lose heart. It's, it's an expression that says, we do not surrender. We do not abandon our calling. We stick to it till the end. We persevere till the end. In fact, this expression, therefore, we do not lose heart, is also used in verse 16 of the same chapter. You see in verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not cowardly surrender. You so Paul was, in a way, responding to the attacks that were being thrown at him as a, as a minister of Jesus Christ. And he was saying, I'm not giving up. I'm keeping on, as some of the brethren say quite nicely, keep on keeping on. That's what we need to do. Keep on keeping on. Verse 2. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. We have repented from these shameful things that are hidden. Shameful maybe thoughts or whatever that people don't know. We have done away with that. With those secret sins. We've done away. So that we're not hypocrites. We've done away with that. We renounced the hidden things of shame. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. In other words, we're not working with uh, uh, subtleties and changing words to... No, we just play. That's why even we remember lovingly uh, it was called the plain truth. It, we walk plainly, openly, uh, in a godly way. And it says, not handling the word of God deceitfully. It was not tampering with the word of God. Not diluting uh, God's word with things that are not holy. Uh, for instance, in not diluting wine with water. Or, for instance, not diluting gasoline with ethanol. Uh, I know some of it is diluted, but when you go 
it says, well, it's not diluted then more than a certain percentage. Well, it's an interesting point. When I was in Brazil recently, and uh, I went to a very remote little town, and it was like three hours drive, the, and I said, well, I'm going to need to fill up gas because I'm going to have another. It was like three to four hours drive to go back to where I'd come from. Um, so I needed to fill up the tank. They told me, no, don't fill up in this little town, uh, but fill up in the next bigger town because there they got more controls and more disciplines because in this little town, it is said, and you don't want to take a chance, but it is said that uh, they dilute the gasoline with either water or something like that, and you uh, could damage your engine or get stuck on the road. So rather wait a little bit more, go another uh, 20 or 30 miles and go to the next bigger city and then fill up there. You see, this is, this is, uh, is like diluting, is and, handling things deceitfully. And we don't handle the word of God deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, you see, we handle the word of God with the truth and only the truth. We handle it carefully. It's God's word, but gently and lovingly, of course, we handle it the correct way. And it says, commanding ourselves, but by manifestation, let me read it again. By manifestation of the truth, commanding ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, we are doing what is right. We're striving to do what's right. And, and we got a clear conscience. And uh, we command ourselves to every man's conscience that, that we are doing the right thing in the sight of God. Verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. You see, if our gospel is veiled, if, if our gospel is hidden, it is hidden. In other words, it's not understood to those that are perishing. In other words, to those that are not called, that their minds are blinded to those who are perished, whose minds, the God of this age, a verse that I referred to a little earlier on, has blinded. It was Satan, the devil, he has blinded this world. He's worshipped by thousands of religions, by, yes, using different names, different titles, whatever it is, but it's all of the devil. You see, as we read in John 16, verse 11, let's just look at a few scriptures that shows that he is the God of, of this age and, he, and, that, um, and that God, therefore, has to open our minds. Let's look at a few scriptures very quickly. Yeah? So we're going to jump to a few scriptures to show that. Uh, first one is in John 16, verse 11. John 16, verse 11. We see uh, uh, talking about, um, you know, that God's spirit 
you'll convict us the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. But here in verse 11 says of, right, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So yeah, it shows again that Satan is the God of this world, the ruler of this world. And God has to open our minds and hearts. Look at um, Acts 16, Acts 16, verse 14. Acts 16, verse 14, we see uh, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. And she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, or Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart. God opened her mind open a heart and veiled her, took the veil out to heed the things spoken by Paul, to understand. You see, God has to open our minds. God has to call us. John 6 verse 44, a well-known scripture that you probably know off by heart. John 6 verse 44 that says, no one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. God has to call us, has to open our minds. Matthew 4, verse 8 and 9. Matthew 4, verse 8 and 9. Yeah, it's talking about uh, Satan trying to tempt Christ. And uh, in verse 4, Eight and nine, Satan says to Christ, uh, again, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he, Satan, said to him, Christ, all these things I'll give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. You see, Christ did not call him out and said, hey, you don't have that authority. See, so... But what Christ called him out on is, you shall worship only the Lord your God and him only. Him you shall serve. So Satan is the ruler of this world. Look at John 12, verse 31. John 12, verse 31. Now, this is the judgment of this world. Now, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, which is referring to Satan, the ruler of this world. So we can see many scriptures that clearly state Satan is the ruler of this world. Also John 14, verse 30. John 14, verse 30 says the same thing. It says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world he is coming and he has nothing in me. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, puts it in a slightly different way. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, uh, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So Satan is the ruler of this world. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. So it's Satan 
is is ruling this world and uh, we just have to wait for the day that christ comes to save us from this from these snares look at second timothy chapter one second timothy chapter one second timothy chapter one verse 26 second timothy chapter one verse 26 There's no Second Timothy chapter one verse twenty-six. Oh, it's uh, chapter two verse twenty-six. It says that they may come to their snare and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So Satan has got snares. Uh, he, he, as we read, for instance, in Revelation twelve verse nine, he deceives the whole world. We read in 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies under the sway of Satan. So to complete, let's go back. And this is where we're going to stop today. But let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, where it says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who's the image of God, should shine on them. You see, the whole world is in total darkness. And until God turns the light on, initially now in our individual brains, but when Christ comes back, it'll be in a whole world, society. And, and until God turns the light on, the light of the gospel of the glory, the light of the good news of the glory of Christ. Until that shines on us. Right? So we are talking about God's glory. And we are going to be taking, we're going to be absorbing, just like symbolically Moses absorbed, we uh, his face we are absorbing we are being transformed we are being changed we are taking on god's glory not in a glorified body yet but we're taking it in character in outlook in a divine nature and slowly becoming more and more like god then yeah it says in it says christ who is the image of God. Christ is the image of God. Uh, the word for image is Greek 1504, icon, which is a likeness or resemblance of God. It's interesting, when you read the law and the commandment, it says in Exodus 20, verse 4 through 6, it says, do not make any graven images. Don't worship them. But the true image is the image of Jesus Christ, uh, which is the image of God, which is Christ. It's, and, and, and it says in Philippians 2, uh, verse uh, 6 through 11, where it says that he was in the form of God and uh, it was not any uh, robbery to be equal to God, 
and he became a human being and he humbled himself to the death in the cross and he says therefore god highly exalted him the father highly exalted him and then he says therefore to him every knee will bow down and so to him to his name we have to bow down and that it says in verse 11 that is to god's glory to the father's glory you see so god is now only calling a few why because god is preparing teachers for the millennium for the world tomorrow uh, jesus christ when he comes back to establish his government and put it in place this government will be ready with people like you and i god willing if we are there and he will use us just like a man that marries a woman, the two work together uh, and the woman assists the man. And so we will assist the groom, Christ, spiritually speaking, in taking care of the family and the other children. Uh, and so we, uh, God has got a great plan. He's training us to be like Christ and uh, and through his spirit, uh, through his mercy, he's guiding us to understand the truth. And we need to be put on. We need to put on Christ's uh, image, that glory of Christ. That's why it says, uh, allow, we've got to allow, allow the light of the good news of the glory of Christ shine in our hearts so that we act like that and like moses reflected god's glory we need to reflect god's glory but in our nature in our behavior and in our character